welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of The Flight Deck. As always, thank you for joining us. Without you guys listening, this show would not exist. So again, we appreciate you listening. Please subscribe. Please send some emails, ask some questions, and uh, we'll help further the show together. So I thought I'd start this first episode off in the most logical uh, place it could be, in my opinion, is starting to get into aviation. You know, what is it like to get into an aircraft for the first time, and how do you move forward from there if you decide you like it? first thing I want to talk about is getting into an aircraft for the very first time. Um, for the purposes of this podcast, aircraft is going to be either referred to as helicopter and airplane. I interchange them sometimes. That's just something you're going to have to deal with. So again, to get back on topic, the first thing you want to do is get on your laptop or your phone and look up your local flight school. And they're going to have something called a demo flight. What the demo flight is basically a half an hour to an hour quote-unquote lesson, uh, what they do is they put you into the airplane for the very first time with an instructor, of course, and you get to fly it around for half an hour, an hour. I mean, it's a great way to spend the afternoon. Uh, it's, you know, for the price, you get a real good bang for your buck, and it's a good way to tell whether you can even handle being in an aircraft in the first place. Um, you know, flying isn't for everybody, and this is the cheapest, easiest, fastest way to find that out. Uh, something I recommend to everybody who's even slightly interested in flying and, uh, you know, you can really make a decision from there. Uh, a lot of us who have decided to continue flying for a career, maybe even a hobby, most of us probably have started in a demo flight. Another avenue is if you're lucky enough to know somebody that has an airplane, give them a call. Say, hey, I want to go flying. I want to try this or I want to try that. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to be up for it and say, hey, you know, Uncle Tom, I want to go fly your airplane. I think I want to become a pilot. So once you've done that, and you've more than likely made a decision that you want to keep flying and keep learning about flying and maybe get your pilot pilot license, the next step is to figure out if you're physically fit and medically fit to fly the airplane. So the next thing you got to do is get on your phone or talk to Uncle Tom and find out which doctor that he uses. And this isn't just any doctor. It's an aeromedical doctor. They specialize in aviation medicine. What you'll do is set up an appointment with them, and you're going to get a class 1, class 2, or class 3 medical. And the meaning of the different classifications of medicals can be explained in a later show, but for the purposes of just starting out, all you need to know is that you're going to need to go see a doctor and get a medical. The basics of the medical exam, they're going to take a look at your eyesight. They're going to take a look at your hearing. They're going to do just a general assessment of your overall health. Uh, one thing is diabetes. They're going to take a look at that. They're going to measure your weight, they're going to measure your height, they're going to check your breathing. Uh, depending on how old you are, you may need an EKG. Uh, but all in all, it's a pretty general exam, but they want to make sure that you're not taking any medications that you're not supposed to be taking while flying, and that you're a good, healthy human being. So once you've jumped over that hurdle, the next thing you can do is start considering how you're going to continue your flight training. There's so many different ways to do this. Uh, a couple of the popular ones are going to what I call a quote-unquote pilot factory, going to your mom-and-pop shop, going through the military, and then going through a collegiate program. And this is something that I could talk about for a while, um, but again, I, this is something I think that could be reserved for a later episode and kind of get more in-depth into just even those four options. Uh, there's plenty more avenues, but like I said, these are the popular ones. Uh, some things you want to consider right off the bat uh, could be your financial situation. Do you maybe need to secure funds? 
Uh, maybe you have access to an aircraft you can use for flight training. Maybe you want to consider buying an aircraft, which I'm in favor of. Uh, a time commitment might be something else you might want to be looking at. If I'm going to throw my personal opinion into this, I suggest that you go to a mom and pop flight school, one of the small flight schools that might be at your local airport. Um, you can go to a pilot factory, and that's great, and that suits a lot of people. Uh, I myself went through one. And looking back at it, in hindsight, I wish I would have done the mom and pop flight school because, first thing, I would have saved a lot more money. And I was really concerned about finances at that time, uh, trying to figure out how to pay for flight school and how to pay for flight training. It's, it's a big expense. It's a lot of money you need to put away in order to you know, really go from zero to career. And the other thing that I found at the mom and pop shop and this, the small flight school is that you get such a more personal experience. And to me, that's more important than going to a pilot factory, going and flying with instructor A for pilot pilot, instructor B for your instrument, instructor C for your commercial. It just that you find somebody who wants to be a career instructor. Those are the guys who really care about flying. They're passionate. They have tons of knowledge. Those are the guys you want to learn from. I went to a pilot factory, and... I noticed a huge difference in the instructors, and I'm not talking about their personality or the quality of their person, but what they were teaching us was only what they had known. And you get guys who have 250, 350, 450 hours or so, and they can only teach you what they've known. And in relative terms, you know, 400 hours in flying is really not that much experience. Yes, they're going to go through some stuff that you normally wouldn't, and yes, they might have had an emergency by then, but the guys who have been flying for 10, 15, 20 years who are career instructors who have been there, done that, those are the guys that have real-world experience. They're going to teach you how to fly an airplane or a helicopter. And to me, in my personal opinion, that's more important than getting my ratings as quick as possible. Um, in hindsight, I wish I would have gone to a mom and pop flight school, uh, just for those two main reasons. Financially, I would have been in a better position and educationally, I would have learned a lot more about flying a lot sooner than I did at the pilot factory. Uh, <laughs> what I went through the pilot factory, I, I don't get me wrong. I learned everything that I needed to learn, but that's all you're going to get. When you go fly to mom and pop shop, like I did after I got all my ratings, I learned more about flying in 10 hours at a mom and pop shop than I did the entire 250 hours I just spent at a pilot factory. This is my personal experience and that's what I recommend to people who are looking to uh, go beyond a private pilot license or a sport pilot license for somebody who potentially wants to be a professional aviator and have a career in aviation. Look for the experience. Look for the people who are passionate about flying. Don't get me wrong, those people do exist at the pilot factory, but they're few and far between. Uh, you're not going to find as high a concentration as you would at a small flight school. Having said all that, we're going to take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about dealing with instructors that you may or may not get along with. And then we're going to talk about doing electronic and paper logbooks.
being that this is the first show, I thought uh, now would be a good time to talk about a, a possible advertising slot. Uh, in the show, this would be the time where we could uh, broadcast your product and or website or whatever it happens to be. Uh, that opportunity sounds good to anybody listening out there. Shoot me an email, and we'll go from there. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, so to part two of episode one, we're going to talk about dealing with instructors. Uh, so at this point, you've taken a demo flight. You've decided that you want to continue your flying, and you're maybe 10 hours into getting your pilot pilot license, and you're dealing with this instructor that you are having a hard time with. A lot of times what will happen at flight schools is it'll say, hey, I want to get my pilot pilot license, and the instructors and the flight school will get together and say, hey, I can take student A or student B because they fit into my schedule or they fit into your schedule, and we'll get this guy done. And 99.99% of the time, the instructors that you're working with, they're all good people, and you guys all get along. However, there is that potential for a personality conflict. So the question is, is how do you deal with that personality conflict? Uh, this is a good lesson to learn right off the bat because you're going to deal with this your entire career. And something to really take away from it is to understand and recognize that when you, you fly with somebody who you may or may not get along with, how to deal with that situation. But that's something that's groomed and you kind of learn how to deal with it later on. And the question is, how do you deal with that personality conflict? Well, at this point in career, you've got the edge. Uh, what I mean by that is you're the one paying the bill. It is your money. It's your funds paying for that instructor, paying for that airplane, paying for that flight school to even exist. So, <laughs> so if you find yourself in a situation where you have an instructor that you fly with all the time, but you just can't stand that person, go to the flight school manager and say, hey, I'm flying with so-and-so, and we don't get along, and I'd like a new instructor. And immediately they should give you somebody else. It may take a little bit of time for you to get back into an airplane based on availability and scheduling. However, it is your money. You are the customer. So again, remember that. Uh, there's so many people that I know that have gone through this problem and won't say a word. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they tend to push you to stay with that instructor because of availability and because they need those airplanes flying, they need the money coming in, or whatever various reasons. But they, they will sometimes not allow you to switch instructors. And at that point, you need to start evaluating, do I really want to stay at this flight school and keep giving them my money? It's really, really imperative that you fly with somebody that you get along with. Now, I'm not saying that you need to give a personality interview to everybody that you fly with, but fly someone that you get along with. Having a good learning environment is going to help you build your career off those essential learning blocks that you learn as a private pilot. So again, it's your money, it's your career. Fly with somebody that you get along with. So the last topic I want to talk about, this is real quick is doing your logbooks. Uh, when you first start your pilot, pilot training, you're going to get a little paper logbook that says my professional logbook or something similar to that. It's going to have about 20 to 30 pages and it's rather thin and quite honestly you'll go through it pretty dang quick. What you want to do is get yourself a larger professional logbook that you're going to find at most of your flight schools or even online and then you want to complement that with an electronic logbook. Now I'm not here to promote any specific company or any specific program. Uh, this is just simply advice. If you have your paper logbook and a disaster happens, you know, your dog eats your homework or you have a flood in your house and that paper logbook is destroyed, those 20 hours, those 15 hours could go to waste. 
And depending on how your flight school keeps their records, you may not have a record at all. So it's just good practice to have an electronic logbook that backs up your paper logbook. Now, don't dismiss your paper logbook altogether because you're going to need that down the road. Uh, something I personally do is I have a little black book that I write all my flight times and conditions down in, and then I can take that and transfer it to my professional paper blog book, and then from there transfer it to an electronic log book. It's a lot of steps, it's a lot of work, but it guarantees that I still have track of the time that I flew. And real quickly, I wanted to add a little bit of something about myself so you guys have an idea of who you're listening to. I currently work for a Part 121 carrier based out of Los Angeles, California. I've been flying for 10 years. Uh, my career path has not been very typical in the sense of getting a, all your ratings, becoming a CFI, building time to go work for a regional, maybe a cargo carrier or so on and so forth. Uh, so hopefully I can share some of my experiences with you guys and uh, really help you make some decisions or even kind of uh, learn something myself too. It would be fantastic. Well, that wraps it up for season one, episode one of the Flight Deck. I uh, hope you guys are still listening. Uh, happy that you came here in the first place. Please subscribe. Please send some emails with questions. I would really like to start integrating a Q&A session uh, portion of the, of the podcast to answer specific questions or talk about specific topics that you guys want to hear about. And again, until next time, from all of us here at the Flight Deck, have a wonderful day.